Now, today, the topic that we're going to be talking about is called Culture's Greatest Test. And the, we believe that culture's greatest test is who or what will we choose to worship. So we're going to be looking at that today. And the text we're going to be reading out of is Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 to 12. And so I'd encourage you to pull out your Bibles. That's where we're going to be parking ourselves for this the next 30 minutes or so. And if you don't have your Bible, it's going to be on the screens. You can pull out your phone and download the Bible app and do that. But I really encourage you, bring your Bibles, bring a notebook every week. Uh, this is a great opportunity for you to make notes in the margins. Don't worry about ruining your Bible. A used Bible is a good Bible. Um, and so the story that we're going to be looking at today has two characters, Abraham and Isaac. Abraham is the father and Isaac is his son. And we first meet Abraham in the Bible, and he's an old man. He's well into his 90s. He's married to a, a woman named Sarah, who is also well into her 90s. And the two of them have no children. And, but Abraham is a godly man, and God speaks to Abraham and says, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the sand on the seashore and as the stars in the sky. And Abraham sort of says, well, how will you do that? Because I don't have any children, and my wife and I are already so old. And God miraculously allows them to get pregnant, and they have a son, and that son is Isaac. And so Isaac is the fulfillment of that promise, and he is truly a miracle child. And it's important that we know that in a culture, Abraham's culture, highly valued family. They highly valued sons in particular um, because sons would carry on the family legacy. And so it was super important that they had a son. And so it's important that we understand how significant Isaac was to Abraham when we read the story. So starting in Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 to 12, let's get going. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And Abraham responded, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father... And Abraham responded, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son, but... The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Before we keep going, let's take a minute to pray. God, I just want to pray for this, the next 25 minutes or so. And I pray that you would come and you would speak to each of us. God, I pray that the words that I speak would be your words and not mine. I pray for every person in this room that you would plant a message in their heart, something that they need to hear tonight, God. 
And we pray that ultimately your name and your kingdom would be glorified this evening. We love you. And all of God's people said, amen. Great. So what would you give anything for? What would you give anything for? When I was a little kid, I was a massive Harry Potter nerd. Massive. I would, I would hazard to say that my knowledge of Harry Potter is encyclopedic. I know so much. I read all the books. I loved it. Um, and one year, when I was probably in grade two or three, I was quite young, uh, my parents took me to see the first Harry Potter movie. I was so excited. I got dressed up, and they, my mom drew a Harry Potter scar on my forehead, and I was, like, so excited. And we went, and we saw the movie, and it was awesome. And I got to stay out late. And then we came home, went to bed, and the next day I went to school. And uh, we had had our picture day at school a few weeks before, and I had missed it for some reason. So this was the retake day. And um, don't worry, it's all good. Uh, we went and we, it was picture day now, so it was the retake day, and so I went and I was getting my picture taken, and the photographer said, hey, you have this like, uh, thing on your forehead, do you want to move your hair to cover it up? And I was like, no, 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 I've moved my hair so you can see it. And this is the picture my mom got. <laughs> Isn't he cute? Come on. My grandma knitted that sweater for me and my mom made me wear a turtleneck and a sweater and it was like 15 degrees outside. Because she said, my grandma's going to want to see the, the sweater that she knitted for me and the picture. So that's that. So I would give anything for a Harry Potter experience. I loved it. I read all the books, watched all the movies, watched interviews with the author. I would go and read books about the books. I was so into it. And I would have given anything for it. And so my question is, what would you give anything for? Because that's ultimately what worship is. Worship is surrender. It's giving up everything for one thing. And we all surrender our lives to something. Every single one of us has something in our life that takes precedent, that takes priority, that we sur surrender our lives for. For some of us, it's our career. We'll work overtime. We'll kill ourselves. We'll do everything we can to move ourselves forward in our career. Some of us surrender our lives to school. We stay up way later than we should working on assignments. We kill ourselves for those assignments. We flake out on friends and family so that we can get good marks. Some of us surrender our lives to a relationship. That sounds really romantic. You know, oh, I give, babe, I give anything for you. We surrender our lives to a person. Some of us surrender our lives to substances or any, lots of, any, anything you can name. There's probably someone who surrenders their life to that thing. And so what have you chosen to surrender your life to? What have you said, I'm going to give anything for that? I believe Abraham was a man who was willing to sacrifice everything for God, and that because he was willing to do that, he found the greatest life in that surrender. And I believe that when each of us chooses to surrender our lives to Jesus, that we also find our greatest fulfillment and our real purpose. And so today we're going to be looking at Abraham in this story as a case study of how we can live a surrendered life. So we're going to, we're going to just keep going through the text bit by bit, and we're going to start in Genesis 22, verse 1. And it says, and the, after these things, God tested Abraham. Let's stop there. The Hebrew word for tested that's used here indicates a test where the person being tested will be different at the end, that life transformation is going to happen as a result of this test. 
And so what we learn is, before we even read the story, is that at the end of this story, Abraham will not be the same that, as he was at the start. And that when we surrender our lives to Jesus, our lives are different as we surrender to him. So let's keep going. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. The first posture of a surrendered life that Abraham demonstrates to us is that he is attentive. Abraham is attentive, and he's listening to hear God's voice. As soon as God calls out to him, he responds and says, here I am. God doesn't have to send him 15 texts, call him five times, send him an email, leave a voicemail, and DM him on Instagram to get his attention. As soon as he calls out, he's ready and he's listening. He's actually waiting to hear from God. And he's willing to set aside whatever he is happening in his life to respond to God. When he says, here I am, that Hebrew phrase indicates a unconditional availability. It's unconditional, meaning that Abraham is saying, whatever it is that you want me to do, God, I'm listening and I'm paying attention and I'm going to do it. I'm going to put aside anything else to listen to what you have to say. And I think our posture should always be one of attentiveness, where we're saying, here I am, God. I'm listening. I'm waiting for you to speak to us. Speak to me. And some practical ways that we can do that is have trusted relationships. Have relationships with people who are um, godly people who are pushing you into what God has in store for you and allow God to speak through those people into your life. Find those people. Cultivate those kinds of relationships. Carve out time in your life to spend in prayer and in God's word. And I say carve it out because you will have to fight to create that time. It's not going to happen by accident. And make it a commitment that you're going to be at church every single week because pastors go to God and they say, God, give me a word for your people. And they spend time in prayer and preparation. I know our lead pastor spends up to 30 hours every single week asking God for what he wants to communicate to his church. And so when you come in, you are, it's like a fast food meal. You don't have to do any of the work and you get the message, okay? All you have to do is show up. So show up to church every week. Living a surrendered life means reordering our lives in order to hear from God, right? Shift your priorities, move things around. What do you need to change in order to hear from God? Maybe you have to sacrifice sleeping in on Sunday morning so that you're in church, or give up two hours in your evening on Saturday to be in church. Maybe you have to say goodbye to some friends and move towards some other ones. Do whatever it is you need to get into God's word so that you can be attentive like Abraham. Now, let's continue to read. In verse, starting in verse 2, he said, this is God, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Notice Abraham's response to what God says. He immediately responds to the instruction of God. He doesn't wait. He doesn't um, dilly-dally. He is obedient. This is the second posture of a surrendered life, someone who's obedient. He says, it says he rose early in the morning. I don't know about you, but I am not a morning person at all. 
Ask anyone who knows me. I am the worst in the morning. I'm so grumpy. I don't drink coffee because I know it's just going to make me worse because every morning that I'm going to need coffee as well as being a gremlin. But surrender is changing our lives in response to God's commands. And so if God calls me to worship him early in the morning, I have to surrender that grumpiness. I need to give it up and say, no, I am choosing to worship God because we need to learn to set aside our preferences for what God has commanded us. Surrender isn't about fitting Jesus into your life. It's about rearranging and reordering your life around what Jesus has instructed you to do. The other thing I want to point out in this story is that it took three days, okay? Three days. Sometimes we read the story and I think we, we sort of think, oh, he appeared to Abraham in the morning and then by lunchtime he was on the mountain. No, it was three long days. Three days of walking and likely thinking about the instructions that God had given him. Now, I think our generation is particularly prone to this, that when some, there's something hard that we need to do, we start to think, okay, what are my excuses? Like, how can I get out of this? And Abraham had three days to think of those excuses, and I think he had a lot of different options. First off, what God has asked him to do goes directly against his fatherly instinct. Just a few verses before, it's, God refers to Isaac as the son whom Abraham loves. Did you know that that is the first time that love is mentioned in the Bible? The love that Abraham has for his son Isaac is the first instance where we see love named in Scripture. And so it goes completely against his instinct as a father to sacrifice his son. Second, God has given him absolutely no reason. All he said is, go do this. Why does God want him to sacrifice his son? Usually, if I'm going to ask someone to do like a harder, hard task or I'm, if I'm giving away something and it's complicated, I'll be like, hey, so could you just, you know, help me out with this one thing? And I'm, it's no big deal. Like, if you can't make it work, it's fine. And I'm sorry. And like, but, here, you know, it just, it would be so much help if you could do this for me. And here's a 10,000-word essay of all the reasons why I love you and I need you to do this for me. And God doesn't do that. God just says, here's what you need to do. And Abraham says, okay. Third, God's command conflicts with God's promise. It doesn't make sense. God gave Abraham a promise and said, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the sand on the seashore and as the stars in the sky. How is that going to happen if his son is dead? It just doesn't make sense. Fourth, what about his legacy? In Abraham's culture, in near, ancient Near Eastern cultures, sons were very, very, very important because a son would carry on the legacy of the parents. They would carry, they would take on the inherit, they would, excuse me, they would inherit the wealth of the parent and they would carry out the, the mission that the family had. And so Abraham is going directly against what his culture says by choosing to fo follow God's command. It's ex his, everything in his culture, is the hundred years of his life, he's been told, when you have a son, protect your son, guard your son. Your son is so important. There's nothing more important than your son. And here he is being asked to sacrifice his son, and he's willing to do it. And also, what kind of damage is this going to do to his marriage? Earlier on in Abraham's story, we read about how he um, slept with another woman. He cheated on his wife, Sarah. And so there's already tension there for sure. 
And so Abraham must have been worried about, like, what's going to happen if I kill her son, her only son, her miracle son? And to be quite honest, at over 100 years old, he's no spring chicken, so he really can't afford to mess this up. But Abraham obeys anyway because he's chosen to follow God and he knows that that takes priority. That is the most important. And he demonstrates that following God isn't, doesn't always make sense for our human logic. Sometimes living the surrendered life means we have to step out without answers and we just need to be obedient. And you have to trust that the one who made life knows how to live life that he has the best instructions for how to live life. And so what is it that you need to become obedient to God with? What's, what are you directly living in direct opposition to what God has spoken in his word? Do you need to stop binge drinking? Do you need to stop sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend outside of marriage? Do you need to stop gossiping? Do you need to leave the relationship you're in because it's not healthy and it's not godly? Are you willing to obey God because you know that he knows best? See, because living a surrendered life sometimes means giving up what you want in favor, of God, in favor of what God has instructed. It's about stepping out into what God has called you to, even though it doesn't make sense and even though it can be hard. And I don't just mean oh, I'm not going to eat out this week so I can save some extra cash. It could be life-altering decisions, life-changing decisions that you make because you know that what you're pursuing is not what God has called you to, and it's about reordering your life to follow after his instruction. And that's hard. When we choose to live a surrendered life, it's hard. But when we do, we live, but when we do, we live in obedience And according to the instructions that God has given us, that is our best life. Now, let's keep going. And as we keep going, they are approaching the mountain that God has sent them to. And in verse 5, Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife so they, both, so they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. Isaac begins to realize that the key ingredients for their worship are not all there. They have the wood, they have the fire, but they're missing the lamb. And he asks Abraham, What are we going to do? And here, Abraham demonstrates his relationship with God and the third posture of our surrendered life, and that he is trusting. He trusts God. Even though all he's heard so far is that he's going to sacrifice his son, he trusts that God's going to come through. And see, we should place our trust in God, not in our own capabilities, not in other people or in resources. And so when you begin to trust money, for example, over God, give it away tithe more. You surrender the thing that is holding you back from following God wholeheartedly. When you start to value your time more than God, when you say, I don't have time to rest, I don't have time to worship, I don't have time to go to church, to serve at church because I'm too busy, you need to give things up and you need to live in obedience 
and go to church and take the time to rest and live with him. And if you begin to trust anything in your life, if there's anything that you start to trust more than God, you need to start to give it away, surrender it to him. Trust is so necessary for surrender. See, Abraham didn't see the end result yet, but he trusted that God would provide. Living a surrendered life means surrendering whatever is holding you back from following God and choosing to trust him. It's about saying, I don't see how this is going to work out. It doesn't make sense, but I'm going to follow you anyway. At this, and at no point is this easy, but when you do it, when you surrender those things that are going to hold you back, you don't have to carry them anymore. And that's amazing. Genesis chapter 9, we keep reading. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Abraham is faithful. He continues to do what God has called him to do, even though it doesn't make sense. He keeps doing what God has called him to do. Despite the fears, frustrations, concerns, he's faithful and he goes into what God has called him to, called him to until he hears otherwise. But he's still attentive. Notice he says, here I am. He's still listening for God's voice. And as soon as God gives him a new instruction, he obeys and he trusts God and he's faithful to that new instruction. This is probably the hardest posture for our generation to be faithful. We want purpose. We want, we want something to live for, but we want to be in control of it. And so we'll work up the courage to do what we believe God has called us to do, but then when it gets tough, or when someone doesn't like us because of what we're doing, or, be, or when it begins to cost too much, we go, God, was that really you? Like, or did I just have too much wax in my ear when you said that last time? Or was I just like, it was really me and not you? And we start to rearrange what God has called us to to make it easier. We start saying, mm, maybe this wasn't actually God, and maybe it was just me in my own head. But imagine what this is like for Abraham. This is his most precious relationship, his son, and he's about to sacrifice him on an altar. And really, this could have gone two ways, right? One way is that he could have been tying up Isaac, and Isaac was like, yeah, cool, I trust my dad, it's going to be fine. And somehow, I just don't think that's how it went. Like, if I was Isaac, I would have been losing my mind, okay? I would have been, like, sobbing. There would be snot, like, pouring out of my nose. I would have been, like, screaming. I would have been flailing my, like, lanky limbs all over the place. I would have been, like, begging, like, Abraham, please. And yet, in the face of all of that, Abraham is faithful. He continues to do what God has told him to do, right up to the point where he's ready to kill his own son. But God, but God loves Isaac, just as he loves Abraham, and he stops it, and he says, now I know you fear God. Fear here means to stand in awe, to be amazed, 
Abraham is so amazed by God that he's willing to do whatever God tells him to do. God says, jump, and Abraham says, how high? We need to run full tilt into what God has called us to. If things are hard, push harder. If you're going uphill, hit the gas. The gas with your right foot. (laughs) Do whatever you need to do to keep moving forward. Keep going with everything you've got until you hear otherwise. And I promise you that if you start to veer off of the path of God, he's going to pull you back in. Surrendered life, worship, means throwing every bit of energy, resource, strength, capacity into living out what God has called you to do. It's about doing everything he's commanded until you hear otherwise. And if you're questioning if what God has called you to is what he's instructed, read this. Because he's never going to contradict what he says in his word. We are in a battle. So fight. Put your boots on. Put your armor up. And fight. Can I get an amen? Amen. You know what's incredible? (laughs) I'm going to tell you. It's my favorite part of this story, and we haven't read it yet, and it's in the next two verses. In verse 13, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. When we choose to follow God, when we fully surrender our lives, there will always be a ram in the thicket. He will always provide. God will always come through. He has designed you with purpose. He has a plan and purpose for your life, but he's also going to provide so that you can live out that purpose. God said to the prophet Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And he has the same for you. Before you were even conceived, he had planned out your life. He had a purpose for your life. And he wants you to do amazing things. And he's going to give you the tools and the resources to do it. But you need to surrender to him first. You have to give up and say, I'm willing to follow you so that you can lead me. And you know what? This message is not just a message from the Old Testament. All through the New Testament, we read it. I'm going to run through a bunch of verses really quick. In Luke 14, 26, it says plainly, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. God is the sovereign of your heart. He is the one who owns your heart. Not another person, not another thing. When you choose to follow Jesus, your heart belongs to him. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When we follow Jesus, we aren't living our our lives anymore. They're not for us. Jesus comes and he invades your life and he lives in you. You are the flesh of Jesus here on earth. He wants to work through you. And why? Because he loves you. And because he gave himself up for you. And if you need another reason to surrender, how about this? Jesus did it. 
The night before Jesus was going to be crucified, he was in, a, in Gethsemane and he was praying. And in Luke twenty two forty two, he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is scared in this moment. He does not want this to happen in, like as any human would. But he says, he surrenders his will to God. He says, not my will, but yours be done. And because of that act of surrender, each of us has access to a full and whole relationship with God. And finally, Matthew 10, 39 says, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Do you want to find life? Do you want to find life? Just making sure you're still awake. If you want to find life, then give up yours. Surrender it all. And make a commitment to God that regardless of your circumstance or your situation, regardless of your fears or anxieties or doubts or questions, you are choosing him. And you are choosing to follow him and to make him the singular priority in your life. And when you do, you will find a greater life than you could have ever dreamed for yourself. And when you come into settings like this one, settings where a worship service, even though our whole lives are worship, remember the provision of God. What did Abraham do when he, how did he respond when the ram is presented? He takes it and he sacrifices it and he worships God. He honors God. And that should be our response. When we come into situations like this, it's an opportunity for us to refocus our lives onto Jesus to say, you know what? I got distracted this week. I'm pulling back. I'm refocused. He's at the center. He's the singular focus. We are committing to put God in the primary place in our lives. The words that we sing aren't just pretty poetic words. They are truth. They're weapons. And I want to show you a video of Taya Smith. She's a worship leader with Hillsong United, and I think she just articulates this so much better than I ever could. Worship is a weapon, and it's a weapon where I feel like when you give people the right words to confess, it's almost like a sword, and if they're words that are based on the Bible, the Bible is truth, and it's a sword, and it cuts through flesh and spirit, and I feel like at times when it's really whatever I've been going through has been very heavy. I feel like worship has given me words as like a weapon just to cut off things that I don't need to be thinking about or cut off um, feelings that are quite heavy and um, that would hold me back from what I'm actually meant to be going forward in and pursuing God with. And there's been times where I would laugh now in like um, thankfulness because at times when it just, life was like quite hard and I was still in a position of leading worship and you're trying to lead through something and you're maybe questioning the very thing that you're seeing over people. But I think that's the kindness of God that, like I think I said it before that um, every, night after night, like I was putting the presence of God in. You can't be in the presence of God without it, like softening your heart or leading you to a very honest and raw place because I feel like 
um, that's how we're called to be worshippers of spirit and truth and you have to be honest and even if sometimes it's embarrassing because you're bringing all of yourself before God and there's like ugly parts and parts that you're like, I can't believe I'm thinking that or feeling that whilst leading people into a holy place. But God is kind and I feel like I've experienced the kindness of God in those moments when it would have been so easy to pull away and go, I actually can't do this and it's not for me right now. But it actually continually made me um, press in and go after the things of God and put the words in my mouth when I needed to believe it. When we come into worship, we're going to have doubts sometimes. And we're going to have questions. And we're going to struggle. But these, opportun- these situations are opportunities for us to reorient our lives and refocus our lives and elevate the name of Jesus and remind our souls that that's where he belongs. When we choose to sing, when we choose to lift our hands and surrender, because that's all lifting our hands are. It's not some magic thing. It's simply a posture saying, I'm choosing to surrender to you. When we come and we bow down, it gives, it's a weapon that allows us to cut off the doubts and the fears and the questions and the hurts and to realign ourselves in full surrender to God. When you step in and say, I'm going to praise you even though it's incredibly hard, when you choose to sing joyful songs even in the midst of your pain and your grief, he will always provide for you. Abraham journeyed for three days to worship God and when he was missing a sacrifice, God provided a ram. When I was 19, I was living in, uh, at a camp in southern Ontario. It was about two and a half hours north of Toronto where I grew up. And uh, my sister and I were both there. We were working there for the summer. And uh, one Sunday morning, we were having church at camp, and I was um, helping just get things ready and get things organized. And I got a text from uh, one of my sister's friends who was also working there, and she said, hey, you need to come meet us at this building. It's urgent. And I was, like, freaking out. I'm like, what the heck? Like, what's happened? And so I'm walking to go and meet my sister and, the, and her friend. And I get to this building, and I open the door, and my sister immediately falls into my arms, and she's sobbing. And through her, her tears, she manages to get out that my dad had had seven seizures the night before. My dad has had epilepsy my entire life, and he regularly has seizures, but he never had so many in one night. And I just, like, stood there in shock. I was like, what does this even mean? And I left, and I went back to the building where we were having church, and I opened the door, and I just called to one of my good friends and said, hey, can you come talk to me outside? And he came outside, and I was still sort of shocked, and then I started telling him what had happened, and I just burst into tears. And I I was so filled with fear. What was going to happen? Was my dad going to die? Was he going to be in a vegetative state? Like, we, we had no idea. We had no answers. And the service started, and I went in, and I stood there, and I was like, I have no feeling, like, I, have, I do not feel like worshiping God right now, because I'm so worried. But I said, you know what, God? I'm going to choose to worship you right now, even though I don't know what's going on. And I raised my hands, and I sang, and tears streamed down my face through every single song. And you know what? 
I've never experienced the presence of God so tangibly as I did there. Because when you are fully surrendered to him, when you give up the fears that you have, there's always a ram in the thicket. He will always provide the strength, courage, and peace that you need. When you choose to fully surrender, to be attentive, obedient, trusting, faithful, and to worship, God's always going to come through. So choose to give up your human instincts and desires and wholeheartedly follow after God. And he will place firm ground beneath every single step. He will provide what's necessary for the journey and he's going to lead you into a greater purpose than you could ever ask or dream of or imagine for your life. Now there's some of you in this place tonight who have made that commitment, who have said, I'm fully surrendered. And my encouragement to you and my challenge to you is press in. Keep going. Live fully surrendered. And there's some of you here tonight who maybe haven't made that decision, but you want to make it tonight. And so what I want to do right now is I'd like every person here to bow your head and close your eyes. And for those of you that have committed to follow Jesus, recommit right now, refocus, recenter, come back to him. And for those of you that want to choose to follow him tonight, I'd encourage you to raise your hand right now, not as a show to anyone around you. People's eyes are closed. But if that's something that you want to do today, raise your hand as a form of surrender, saying, God, I'm giving up my life to follow you. And if you raised your hand, then I want you to pray this prayer with me, just in your own heart, and I'll speak it over you. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. Thank you for the free gift of salvation, which no one can take away from me. Thank you for your grace. I surrender my life to you tonight. I choose to give up everything in pursuit of you. I love you, Jesus, and I invite you into my life. I am yours now and forever. And all of God's people said, amen. Can we give it up for anyone who made that decision tonight? Come on, come on. Right now, you can stand and we're going to worship together. And my challenge to you is this. Give it everything you've got. You can go home and go to bed after this. You don't need any more energy. All the breath in your lungs, use it to lift high the name of Jesus above all else.